Welcome to Episode 4 of Crossing Darkness, a podcast where we explore the World of Darkness role-playing game with an emphasis on crossing the streams. In this episode, Moto Rory and Frozen Fallout discuss the rich tapestry of LARPs that are being run in the World of Darkness setting. Don't worry, you'll be perfectly safe as you follow us deeper into the depths of the night as we attempt Crossing Darkness. Welcome everybody, this is Moto Rory, and with me as always is... Frozen Fallout. Alright, Frozen Fallout. What are we going to be talking about today? So, today uh, we're going to be going over a couple of the stuff that I've been doing with our uh, local LARPs. Okay, so you just told me that you just went to a LARP on Sunday, so let's let's kind of move backwards from there. What, what was this LARP on Sunday? On Sunday I went to um, a underground theater LARP. So Underground Theater is another organization, an org that runs um, a bunch of different LARPs throughout the United States. I'm not as familiar with Underground Theater um, really as much as I am more steeped now in, in Second Act or One World by Night to a certain degree, but I decided to go check out uh, Underground Theater. Um, a lot of the people that were playing in the One World by Night or the Second Act LARPs were there was a few people there. It was much smaller. It looked like that. What it was was a Sabat game. Okay. Well, let's let's back up a little bit. So, mm-hmm. when was this LARP? So this was on Sunday at. So that would be April first, Easter. That would be yes. So that would be April first. Easter, Easter LARP. And uh, how long did the LARP last? So I believe it was about a about five six hour LARP. Okay. And uh, where was it? Here in Madison, Wisconsin. Okay. And uh, how often do uh, they meet for this particular LARP? For this particular game, they meet once a month. Okay. And how many people uh, would you say either were there on this past Sunday, or do you have an idea of how many people regularly come to it? It was Easter Sunday, so I would assume they're... Yeah, this this time around, I think there was around 10, give or take, and they've had up to around like 30 and stuff like that. Okay. So you would say probably normally 20 to 30? Um, I would say probably normally like 15, it seemed like now. I'm not 100% sure. It's really hard to gauge from just walking in on an Easter Sunday on them. Yeah. Okay, so how many STs do they have? So they had two STs. One had ST and one assistant ST. And are there any others that uh, couldn't make it, or do you not know? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. All right. Uh, So how did you find out about this one? So this I just found out from being friends with the people that are in Second Act, and a lot of them play in the Underground Theater LARP. None of them storytell. They were just all players. But So I knew a lot of the, I'd probably say about seven or eight, of the 10 oh. people I, I knew, give or take. Wow, so you're really getting to know all these, the, the LARPing community. Yeah, it all seems right. like they do a lot of, they go to a lot of different stuff. So they have like all these different organizations that they're part of, either they are just a player or they're a uh, storyteller. But it seems like on all different kind of levels, from what I've been noticing is a lot of the people that are into the local LARPs are not just into one, that they're into like three to five. 10 and they might you know go to other cities you might you know they might hold 
just an individual player, I could imagine, not not necessarily the most hardcore or the least hardcore about it, but somebody that's kind of moderate about it might have like three or four LARPs that they go to in a month easy. Yeah. So, th- I mean, and that's something that I've seen as well, like, and was somewhat surprising to me when we started getting into this, that people will go to a lot of different LARPs and not necessarily ones that are connected either. Right, yeah, none of these necessarily are working together. The, the ST staffs are usually very different and the head national, you know, it's, it's usually like there's an organization run by a, a certain group of people and a bunch of people that are part of other organizations will play in their game and the people that are part of their organization or that run their own organization will go to other organizations and run it, or play in their games. That's what yeah. it seems a lot of. So, so it's it, a lot of, they are kind of connected, but not really. Okay. Well, actually, so before we talk more about the LARP that just happened on Sunday, let's jump into that because I only know a little bit about it. What are these national orgs and how do they work? Specifically, which are the big ones and kind of how do they organize themselves and why? So I guess the biggest one that I'm not very familiar with and I'm just starting to learn about is One World by Night is probably one of the bigger ones that I'm familiar with. I'm sure there's other ones out there, but One World by Night, I guess, has been going for, you know, 20 some odd years, give or take, plus they've, so they've been around for a, a really long time. And the idea behind an org is that you can have multiple LARPs at multiple different cities that are all connected to each other. One of the big things with this is that let's say I'm a local player in Green Bay and I made a character in Green Bay. I've been playing for a couple months in the Green Bay game and I want to go to Madison or I'm in Madison or I'm in another city that has a LARP that's part of this org. I can take my character and I can walk into that org and say, or walk into that LARP and say, hey, I'm a visiting character. Now, there's usually some kind of like etiquette behind letting GMs know you're coming ahead of time. Everybody runs their games differently as storytellers, and they're kind of the final say in their area type thing. But it's really one of these things to try and develop an extremely immersive concept of that there's multiple cities that will be part of your organization and all of them are all touching each other they're all the heads national storytellers so there's different levels of storytellers you got your assistant storyteller your regular storyteller your national storyteller and assistance to the national storytellers or let's say that you you've got a lot of vampire games you might have a national storyteller for the ventru that's all that he does is and that's what i'm doing right now is an assistant storyteller for the national ventru Um, So I'm pretty much the only one that's right now doing a bunch of writing for second act on the Ventru and making their Justicar and, you know, making sure that the player guide is is well built for them and and the likes. A lot of them have seemed to have moved over to a online database for a lot of stuff. A lot of it is emails or Facebook groups is how they coordinate with each other. Second act is the one that I'm more familiar with on how they organize stuff. But Second Act organizes a lot of their stuff on a website, their Second Act website, which is really awesome. It has a database of all the characters. It has, you know, all of these different rumors and stuff. You can log in and update your character sheet on there. It'll tell you how much experience you have. It automatically calculates experience for you. So, I mean, a lot of them have moved into the future. But I think the general concept of why they do this is to try and get a massive immersion and bring in as many people. Okay. Um, so 
you talked about second act, which which was the one that you are the the national storyteller for for Ventrue? Yeah, the only one that I'm storytelling right now for is Second Act. So I'm the local Anarch uh, Camarilla storyteller, assistant storyteller for Second Act's Madison game. Okay. And then I am also a national storyteller for the venture. And that's still under Second Act. Yep. Okay. Now that's Second Act is the werewolf game that we went to that one time. Yep, so Werewolf okay. is, is tied into that. So they don't just have a vampire game, they have a werewolf game as well. And stuff that happens in the werewolf game can affect the other games as well. And you could meet, say, a werewolf character with your vampire character. They seem to do less mixing, more of like you would, there's multiple games going on and they kind of all can maybe affect each other in downtime more. But in general, the, like that is an expansion the werewolf game is an expansion upon second axe game or second axe org and that's something that they've been expanding out into and let me just take a wild stab in the dark here and say that most people that have a werewolf character probably also have a vampire character that they play i'm not 100 percent sure one of the things i did ask when i became a storyteller for second act is how much of a mixing of werewolf and vampire is there and one of the things I got was that there isn't much going on right now. In fact, a lot of players aren't really looking down that avenue of player inter in players interacting with other players. And not a lot of them that are in the werewolf game are in the Madison vampire game. Oh, really? See, that, that actually surprises me because, uh, you know, we were just saying earlier, most of these people that, uh, that are into this hobby play in multiple LARPs. So I'm kind of surprised that you know, if if you're part of the second act vampire in a given city, I'm kind of surprised you wouldn't also be part of the the werewolf game. I'm guessing they're probably part of some kind of vampire game, or they might um, they might not be locals to a certain degree. Or one of the big things would be is werewolf is a very different game than vampire, very different game, um, especially in LARP, and uh, and that's something that people can be much more drawn to werewolf or vampire for their particular areas that they shine in. Okay, so now you you say that those two are very different. What, give like a brief explanation as to like why you think that is. Well, werewolf is more centric on pack mentality, um, fighting the, the good fight, being warriors of Gaia. You're almost like heroes. You are monsters, but for, for a large chunk of it, a lot of people take them as being more heroic than a lot of other creatures in the world of darkness. Their pack mentality is much stronger than like a, a vampire coterie. Uh, even a sabbat pack is probably uh, weaker in the bonds that are created between a werewolf pack. And so it's a lot easier to jump into a game, be part of the, the game for a new player perspective and from a non uh from a experienced player's perspective you're going to be dealing with much different kind of politics you're not going to be dealing with covering up the masquerade all the time and backstabbing political craziness that you'll get in vampire in werewolf you're going to be focused more on the tribal politics wow okay so i find that, that pretty interesting okay so like I said, we've gone to a werewolf game, and you've now played a bunch of other LARPs. Have you only played uh, vampire LARPs? So far, it's uh, been to a, the werewolf game that we went to at Midwinter, and then I was also 
played in this, the local one here, but other than that, yeah, it's all been vampire. I haven't been able to find anything else. So I've been to the Madison Second Act Troop Dark Ages game, which is really cool. I'm playing in that now as a, a old-ass Malkavian. And then I went to One World by Night, and I got to play as another old-ass Malkavian. And then I went to Underground Theater. In Underground Theater, I just was an observer. I purely just sat back and watched. I didn't make a character. I have a character in the database. It's like two years old that I, I never played, actually. But I just sat back and, and recorded and kind of tried to stay in the shadows like a Nosferatu as much as possible. Yeah. So before we jump into your experiences at the LARPs that you've gone to, are you aware of any other LARPs either from inside the world of darkness mythos or or other LARPs from outside the mythos that uh, that you heard about through these experiences? Not necessarily. I mean, there's stuff like what Rick Hines does that's his own setting, but, you know, is heavily was influenced by World of Darkness, it seems. There's there's some mage games going on in for One World by Night in Chicago, I think. Um, there's a bunch of games in Chicago that I'm not really familiar with too much. And a lot of these organizations have, you know, a lot of different LARPs going on that, but nearby it seemed like there didn't, there wasn't very much other than Vampire, maybe some Werewolf, um, but I'm, I didn't really push really hard to find everything I could or else I probably would be doing nothing but going to LARPs all month. Okay. All right. So, so the general idea then is it's mostly vampire, some werewolf, maybe some mage out there, and then the rest is. I think there's like a changeling game too that Second Act has. But yeah, it's it's really okay. Not much but definitely, I mean, vampire is definitely the game that lends itself the most to the LARPing experience. So it, yep. it's perfectly reasonable that that's going to be the vast majority. And like I said, uh, we, we talked about before, a lot of these players go to multiple of these games, and if it's under the same national org, they'll be playing the same characters for the most part. Kind of. Uh, you can have multiple characters, too. Oh, well, yeah, I would assume that. Which is actually a little bit different than tabletop. Tabletop, you, you can't really have multiple characters. In, you know, LARP, I would say that a lot of people have, if not an immediate character they're playing next to them, they have their backup character ready and waiting to jump in for whenever they need to box their character, hide their character, run away with their character, get killed, or whatever. They have a secondary character ready to pop in, ready for them. But some people play two or three or four. Yeah. Now, how does that work with uh, XP, right? Because So let's say that I'm playing in the local vampire LARP, and I go to the Green Bay under the same national org, the LARP in Green Bay. Uh, do I get experience for the, going to the Green Bay one? Um, I think you're like limited to a, a specific character getting so much XP per month. I'm not 100% sure how Second Act or any of the other ones really handle it, um, but I've seen stuff like saying that if you go to another game as a visitor, you're not getting XP for both games, you're just getting it for one. So the idea is that, you know, you can go have fun with your character elsewhere and build more story with your character elsewhere, but it's not an it's not a thing for power gamers to go around and hit up thirty LARPs in a month so that they can have, you know, three hundred experience that they gained in one month while everybody else gained ten. That makes sense. And uh, and actually, I, I would encourage you next time you're at one of these things to ask people about that, because I wonder, you know, because I've heard that back when 
this was kind of uh, in its infancy back in the 90s and the early aughts. There was a uh, kind of tendency to be very more murdery than it is today. And I wonder if that might have been part of it where going to a bunch of different LARPs allowed you to overpower your character. Yeah, I'm sure that 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 came up to a certain degree somewhere in the LARP community. And it definitely, I don't know, I see one of the things that I see a lot when I walk into these LARPs is that there are a ton of mechanical power gamers out there. Um, not even necessarily like D&D power gamers, but when somebody makes a character, they're not thinking of what story do I want to build first, you know, similar to D&D. When you make a D&D character, you usually don't even have a background story until you've played the game for a, a while with that character. Maybe even then you don't write it down or anything. Yeah. In Vampire, I expected when I walked into a lot of LARPs for it to be very much around, I want to play a very specific type of, of character archetype or, you know, this is the idea of the character that I want to have, and therefore I'm going to build a, a background story around that concept, and then I'll build a character sheet for it. But from my encounters with anybody that's talked to me about character creation, it's always been about what merits that they're taking that make them awesome, and how high they can get their discipline to make them awesome. Really? And that's something that, that kind of concerned me because, I mean, I don't say everybody does that, but it just felt like a lot of people came up to me and when I talked to them about making characters and the concept of character creation, merits was the most important thing in the universe. Okay, that's actually, uh, what, what are merits? I'm not sure I know what those are. So there's, in World of Darkness, there are merits and flaws. Um, in tabletop, they're kind of used as a little bit of a juicer. You know, something to, to give a little bit of character to your character. Yeah. So the merits are things that are really good for your character, like you can't be bloodbound, or you have iron will, or Ooh. you um, have really good acute senses, or, you know, you, you don't make animals afraid of you, or you look human, or you have flaws that says, like, you can't cross running water because you're one of those weirdos that really thinks you can't cross running water. And, All right. So and, wait, 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 wait. You can gain merits in a vampire game through uh, playing? No, character creation. Oh. And I mean, oh, merits you're... do come, and they can come in through gameplay. So you're saying during character creation, these people, in, in some cases, are maximizing the merits by doing certain things? I would say almost all the time. Most, most people, uh, when they make a character, are trying to get seven points worth of merits, and might take seven points worth of flaws. Um, they try and balance it out that way usually, but that's the max is seven points in merits. And like when I went to the One World by Night game, the guy who was creating the character with me wanted me to have more merits because you know like these are these are all these cool things that I could have on my character to make a really cool character. And he got all this approval from the storyteller and stuff, and had to do with his bloodline and how you know his character is special and stuff. But, you know, in the end, I really didn't care about most of my merits besides stuff that really, you know, focused on, on the role play of my character. And it's something that I don't think most people that I've talked to when I try and build a character really care about. They're like, no, 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 listen, you need to care about your stats and where you have all of your points put somewhere. And I don't even want to hear your background story until you've built your character sheet is what it feels like. And that seems really backwards for me as a, as a GM. 
Yeah, I could I could see how that's frustrating com- coming from somebody that uh, feels more naturally an inclination like you to be a storyteller rather than a player, which, you know, goes back to my con- constant conversations about I don't understand what people get out of LARPing. But like I said, I'm trying to. So in this vampire LARP, you talk about they're kind of trying to at least a little bit power game with the merits. Like, what are the more common ones that people use or put on their character for mechanical advantage? I'm not sure to tell you the truth. I Like I said, I'm not a power gamer. I really don't care about merits and flaws unless it's like something that really enhances my character. Okay, so but you got the impression that this is something people were doing well one of the big things is about merits and flaws is some merits and some flaws are very specific to the clan you're playing or the tribe that you're playing so you you want to grab those up if you can you know if if it there's like a Melkavian thing that if you try and get into the mind of a Melkavian you'll get a derangement or every time that uh you uh, what's a couple other ones? There was like the bone gnar one when you're a werewolf uh, that you you seem like a normal everyday person no matter what you look like and what you're doing. Like people just think of you as a common everyday person that you belong. If even if you look like a hooligan and you're walking around in in the suburbs of a, a rich you know area, everybody just thinks that you belong that you're supposed to be there. Um, those are very specific merits to the type of person that you're playing. Those are the ones that I hear people talk about a lot are, you know, that they're really excited to have this merit because it's really, it's only allowed for this group type thing. And it does definitely flesh out their characters more. And I think it does help. It just seemed a little bit backwards for me that a lot of people, when they came at me with what am I building for my character, didn't want to hear my background, but wanted to hear the stats that I was putting on it, Um, especially the people building the character with me, which Coming from D&D makes a lot of sense in that regard. I just thought it would be different for World of Darkness. Yeah. Now, would you say that if you met somebody in the game and you're kind of trying to be in character, what would inform them more as to how to interact with you? Your backstory or your stats? Because I kind of feel like it might be your stats. I mean, it depends, I I would really say. For me, it's always been my backstory and then you know if a person questions me on whether i should know something or not i have to have stats to back that up type stuff yeah but it it really comes down to the type of situation that you're really in are you in a combat situation are you talking is it the first day of the larp like it was for the dark ages nobody talked stats at all out of game or really in game when we were all playing you know, because stats weren't really important at that point. It was all about what's your backstory, what are what did you make up, stuff like that. So they did focus quite a bit on backstory and stuff when you're actually inside the game. And actually, stats get thrown out the window a lot in LARP, which is why I was really surprised at how important stats were to the people making or to the people helping me with character creation every time I did character creation. That they didn't care about my backstory, they really only cared about my stats. And that makes sense, to, uh, I think, in a lot of regards in the, the sense of, like, if I want to make sure that the people can do what they want to do, they have to have the stats in order to do it. But to a certain degree, I don't know what that person wants to do until I hear what his background story is. Hmm. Awesome. Well, we've talked a lot about the philosophy of LARP, so let's get into some specifics about the ones that you've gone to. So we talked about 
the one that you went to this past Sunday. Uh, did you participate, or was that the one that you were just watching? So yeah, last Sunday was I was just watching. Um, there was a demon fight that happened. They had to they had to kill some demon, and then they talked to some kind of crazy Methuselah thing. And so they split up the party. They did like the raid on the demons, like Haven, and got um, got into the Haven, and then found out that like a bunch of their allies had been kidnapped and were going to die or something like that. So they split up the party and had the assistant GM go take care of and brought like four or five people over to do the interaction with the Methuselah and save this group of, of vampires, uh, NPC vampires. And then there was a group of three that went and fought the demon and his small group. There was like two other vampires and a demon that they went and killed. And not demon from the Fallen, but demon from like Infernalist, original World of Darkness, not demon the Fallen. Okay, yeah, I I don't know the difference there. Is is it important or? Well, yeah, there's a huge difference between a demon the Fallen demon and, and a demon from like Wraith or a demon from just and oh. you know because a demon can kind of mean anything in the world of darkness and a fallen angel yeah. is a fallen angel so kind of like when buffy the vampire slayer which i'm watching through right now kind of throws a demon into an episode it's just kind of like one of those guys right yeah just because it says you know that's not a, a it's exactly yeah it's just it's like a humanoid thing with weird skin and some interesting parts Right, and they might come from a place called hell, but in World of Darkness it gets way crazier because you can come from the nine hells, you know, you come from the seven thousand heavens or whatever in, in from the dark umbra, or you can come from the umbra, or you can, you know, there's the abyss, and then the, there's all these different things that that can definitely claim to be demons that are not fallen angels from the uh, Judeo-Christian religion. Cool. So that was uh, that was fun. Yeah, it was it was interesting. Um, I definitely was really surprised at how fast it looked like combat could be, and yet how slow combat still was. And with the with doing chops and how quickly the combat can go, I was really surprised at how much it felt like a tabletop game. They all sat down, they all threw their chops, but it was much more of they. It really felt like I was at a tabletop game. Um, if you've if you know what I'm talking about with tabletop, you can sit around and you just bullshit for a long time, talk about different stuff, laugh about different stuff, be out of character for a good chunk of, of the combat, actually, and not really care about, you know, really emphasizing what you're doing. Just, you know, I'm punching, I'm throwing flame, I'm, you know, attacking was much more, it was, it was more casual and relaxed where I was expecting from a lot of the LARPs that I'd been to, to have a very in character, very, you know, if, if it was going to take three hours, that it would have been spent three hours on the drama of the combat, but it was much more of like, I was sitting at a home game, chilling with a bunch of friends, which, which is definitely a positive in certain regards and a little bit different than, than how I hope to GM combat in LARP, but we'll see. I haven't really been able to GM quite yet. I've just done a lot of trying to learn at this point and kind of keeping my mouth shut. Let me ask you this. Is there anything you learned from watching them run that that game, not just the combat, but the whole night? Is there anything you learned from them? Yeah, I mean, one, one of the big things was I never seen a Sabat game before. I mean, I played a Sabat game when I was a kid, 
you know, and so we just went around killing people and playing football with humans so that we could rip them apart type stuff. You know, it was just kind of a joke of uh, running around and being the evil vampires. And, you know, we even had the Sabbat book we could have really delved into. And we, we had an idea of what Sabbat could be. But to, to go to a LARP that was Sabbat, that was a Sabbat game and hear the sermon by one of the characters that did a really great job, got my shout out for the night because he did a really cool, he, uh, he asked me for my, I brought, I always bring my books of Nod and Days of Fire and all the other crazy books that I, I like to keep on hand that are kind so wait, of this guy did a sermon a little sermon that they did a little ritual and then everybody who you know based upon stats and, and mechanics you could also get like a free willpower for the night or stuff like that from the ritual but he actually did like a whole ritual thing and uh wait, how was, long did the sermon last like 10 minutes 15 minutes oh that's i mean that's a pretty long time that's some church services maybe, last that long. Maybe five minutes. But in any case, like, okay. you know, he just basically got up there and just started talking about Cain and how to how we should treat the humans and mortals, um, even though we are kings and better, that we need to treat them well and to properly bring up the herd so that it can be the best blood and the be- the herd can be the best that it can possibly be. And it was really interesting hearing that from the Sabbat. They I know like I mean they're totally cool with calling the herd and being the kings of the castle, but they also, you know, there is some of that idea of Cain talked about not just being a piece of shit to your cattle that you need to like you need to bring it up and you can't just go around beating your cattle all day because then it's not going to produce any good milk. And this is a player that did that, right? And my player came up and grabbed or asked if I if I uh, he could use my book of Nod to get an idea of what he wanted to have the sermon about, and so he just paged yeah. through the thing until he found something that gave him some inspiration, and then went and talked about it. Okay, was this uh, something that he did regularly, or mm-hmm. was that just something that happened this time? Not sure. See, I I think that would be amazing because I sometimes I when I'm when my blood is up, I can. I can preach. You know, you've probably you heard it before. With the best of them, for sure. I've heard you preach. Uh, not, okay, Ish. yeah, I can rant sometimes, <laughs> but that would be interesting to you know kind of get that out of my system once a month to at a sabbat. But yeah, so that I mean, I'm kind of interested in the game now. Yeah, I would say um, so. Yeah, I learned quite a bit from the, the the just how casual LARP can be too. I, I think that we've gone to a lot of the LARPs that had like you know 15, 20 people, but when you have you know 10 or under and two storytellers it can feel a lot more personal and it can feel a lot more like a tabletop game rather than yeah. um th- what we kind of encountered where it was like walk into a crowd of people and uh <clears throat> i guess it's it's i would say the sabat game felt very similar to the werewolf game that we went to at midwinter you know everybody had something to do and they were engaged nearly the entire time and but they did have a lot of out of game banter with each other and have fun and that it wasn't all about being a hardcore role player. Hmm. Awesome. Well, that sounds cool. Well, I'm thinking take a break and we'll come back and go through, uh, kind of jump back through time with the other LARPs that you've been to. Sounds great.
and we're back. All right, so going backwards in time. Any other comments about the the one you had on Sunday? No, just that it was really interesting just being an observer the whole time and that everybody was totally cool with me recording every single thing. Awesome. And just to remind people, which LARP was that? Um, that was the Underground Theater Sabat game uh, in Madison, Wisconsin. Awesome. All right, so previous to that, what was what was your previous LARP? Um, so prior to that, I went to the One World by Night LARP. In the One World by Night LARP, I did the uh, bonus episodes on that that just kind of went through and uh, showed a little bit of what I did at uh, One World by Night. I have to say that some of the stuff that immediately comes to mind for One World by Night is that they did have a really good new player experience uh, introduction in the sense that I, I immediately got hooked up with a, a player that he specifically helps new players make characters. Okay, yeah, and that's something you've been talking about a long time, the new player experience. Yep. And so, so that was really good. I would say it was pretty decent. You know, the there's problems with, of course, having a player help you with character creation um, versus a storyteller because they have to get approval from storytellers. So they do a lot of it, it, he did a lot of intermediate or uh, middleman type stuff. So I would I would want something or he would want something and he would have to for me and he would have to get approval for that from a storyteller. But in general. You know, this, the character creation was very good. Once again, it was very, very focused on what stats do I want to have rather than the background that I had. But I did do and talk to them a lot about my background. So it might have been one of those things where they, they acknowledged what my background was without really, you know, questioning the, the concepts or, you know, trying to build more with me on that and wanted to build the character out of what I already had told them. Yeah. Okay, so... Before we get into the specific, well, uh, the experience of the LARP, when did the LARP take place? Oh, let's see. So that would have been on a Friday. Let's see. So this past say... Friday was the 30th. I think that it was the 23rd. 23rd. Yeah, it's the uh, second and uh, fourth Friday of the month that they play in Milwaukee. Okay, so that's twice a month. Yep. And so you already said Milwaukee. Where in Milwaukee do they play? Or is that a secret? This, well, I, I don't remember specifics. Um, so if, if I looked them up, I could probably find them. But the basic concept was that it was actually at a bar, which was really nice to a certain degree, uh, what... and really bad in other degrees. One thing was that it was super crowded. You know, we only had a, a I felt like there was like 20 or 30 players crammed into an area really fit for like 20 or maybe like 15 to 20 people and it felt like they were over capacity in the area that we were given and the rest of the bar was booming so yeah do you was... remember the the name of the bar no i don't remember it was somewhere downtown milwaukee it wasn't 42 lounge don't think so okay so we already did where when so you said uh uh so who was there in terms of number of players number of sts so I'm not sure about STs because I only really interacted with one ST when I got my character approved. I, th I feel like there was one head ST like normal and uh, a couple, maybe one or two or three other assistant storytellers to a certain degree. I'm not sure. To be honest, One World by Night is really an interesting thing for me as I'm walking in as purely a player, purely off of just the information I got from their website, which is very little. 
and I'm already the uh, primogen of the Melkavian. So yeah. as much as I, I would like to say that I know a whole bunch and I'm, you know, really into the idea of like getting all the information about One World by Night, I'm really kind of baby crawling in and all of a sudden all the Melkavians are gone from the city and my sire. Because the character that, or the person that created the character with me, I was his child. Um, so yeah. I was created by him and he basically, he was the primogen and he goes, I'm out of here. I'm leaving with a bunch of people and all the Melkavians are gone. There might be some bad shit going on. You should leave with us. And I'm like, nah, I don't feel like making a new character. And I, you know, he's like, oh, you've got, you know, you probably won't die because you've got some time before they kill you type thing. Like you're, you're not supposed to kill new players right away. Um, so he's like, how about you just be primogen for a bit? And you'll be primogen of no Melkavians really, except for you've got a, your sister that'll, uh, be there with you but she's got a bunch of other stuff that she's doing she's not going to be primogen okay so now that gives me the impression that each clan has a primogen mm -hmm. is that correct okay uh so what was the uh what was the story element that caused all these people to i'm not sure if this is an accurate representation abandon their Malkavian characters. So from my, I'm not really tied. So this is a, talked a little bit about in the bonus episode number one, where I talk with Akira. So from my understanding, this there was a big upheaval about Akira's character, who is a harpy, who is basically like the social guru of the vampires in the city, and it's an official position that is is uh, declared by the Primogen Council. He had okay. been gone uh, out of game for three game sessions and he'd been working with a lot of people out of game you know in game you know through emails and and chat and stuff like that but the prince of the city decided that he really wanted a new harpy in the city so he worked with the primogen council to basically oust akira's character so i'm not sure it seemed to be revolved around that a little bit it also might have been that um, when i was created he's like what do you want to make and i'm like i want to make a really old malkavian and he's like okay cool like where do you want to be from i'm like rome and he's like cool well we can do that we should keep that under wraps that you're really old though and when i started role-playing with the character and even when i got introduced to the seneschal I think I made some mistakes, and so did my uh, sire in saying that I was from Rome and kind of giving away the concept that we are super ancient old fucking vampires, um, which means that people want to kill you when they find out that you're really fucking old because your blood might be okay. really rich. Okay, why would they want to kill you? Why, why do they want to... Are they Diablerizing? Oh, some people do Diablerize, and some people don't. Uh, some people just want to kill you because you're really old. Some people have to feed off of you because they're older than you, but they need your blood in order to sustain themselves, and humans don't sustain them anymore. Um, so there can be uh, a, a multitude of reasons why the, the Malkavians this time had to take off specifically. I'm not 100% sure. I heard something about Asmites, but I'm not, I have no idea. Hmm. Now, is that how much player v player violence is there? Because I know most of Vampire is, you know, player v player plot stuff. You know, um, getting boons and positions and all that stuff. But how much actual violence is there? So, what it seems like there's dramatic moments of crazy violence that can happen. I have never seen. 
of player versus player. I've seen player uh, versus meta or player versus environment or player versus this concept of PvP with social uh, shit. Um, there, there wasn't a, somebody who tried to take over Madison in second act who got killed before I showed up. But from my understanding is, is that player PvP killing is not something that happens every game for sure. But it is something that when it happens, it's dramatic. And it means yeah. something big happened. Or a whole shitload of people might die because it's the night of death type stuff. And that might be PCs and storytellers going around killing people. But I've heard of stuff like that. I've never actually seen anything like that. Well, I'm sure you'll see it quite soon. <laughs> yeah, as a national storyteller, I'm sure I'm going to hear about it a lot more. Okay. Uh, so that game was on a Friday night. Uh, how long did that last? I want to say that it was started at 6.30. So they do like, uh, they kind of do what we do. And it's where I got my inspiration for our game of they do, you know, doors open, let's say at 6.30, game on at 7.30. So you've got an hour to get there, to get set up, to get ready and, you know, prepare for the game to be on, check in with the storyteller, do all of the, the stuff that you're doing to get ready. And then from like 7.30 to about 11.30 is when me and Akira had to leave. I believe that they stopped at midnight. I'm That or they stopped at 11 and we left at 10.30. But I feel like we left at 11.30 and they stopped at midnight. Yeah. Uh, did Akira talk to you about um, like the kind of stuff they do after game? Do they do shout outs? Do they do uh, you know, round tables? Do they discuss things? Or is it just kind of like... Okay, everybody, see you later. My guess is that they do shout-outs because it seems to be a pretty standard thing for LARP is to do a nice little shout-out at the end for people. I'm not sure how it really works out in the bar situation. I'm really used to walking into places that are very contained and, and, and designed for us to be as loud or as quiet as we want to be type stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I am kind of surprised that it's in a bar. I'm really surprised that it was. I actually talked to them about that. They said they're working out a different uh, location because I was really worried that I wasn't going to be able to get anything when I was podcasting um, or recording for the podcast. And it actually turned out really well. You know, it just you got a lot of background noise, but you can actually make out the people talking, you know, towards the, the microphone pretty well. But they said that they were looking for a different location. It's something that they changed over to recently. Cool. And now you said the there were about 20 to 30 players? Yeah. But, like, the bar was quite large, so there were, like, 100, 200 people there? I'd, I'd have to say that we comprised maybe 20, 30%, and there was, like, maybe 100, okay. give or take, people all together in the bar. And we were, like, kind of off in a corner, so there was, like, this, like, long kind of hallway corner that they had at the bar so that you could be like a way we were basically separated but by no walls okay so my next question is did anybody dress up a few people dressed up akira did talk about how he wasn't going to be able to dress up as much as he normally does for fear that the local folk will be too afraid of them but a lot of them i mean sometimes it's not even costumes it's just you might they might just wear this stuff normally like i mean they might some people had a lot of piercings and some really you know leather jackety type you know look to them really rough house kind of look to them one person uh my sire actually does have a mask that he wears he wore it for a little while but it was really hard to hear what he was saying because of how 
loud the background noises so he took that off yeah. after a while um so there was some costuming but it definitely was more low-key than normal yeah you think if you guys uh were in a more private setting some people would have gone a little bit more absolutely i mean akira for sure okay. would have okay so well, actually the the thing i wanted to mention was you know here in madison we used to go to the inferno a lot which was the kind of goth punk bar I kind of wonder if some of the times that we were there, if maybe there was a vampire game going on. Because now that you say that, like, it could happen in a bar, I kind of wonder if maybe it did happen in Um, Madison. I'm not sure about uh, Inferno 100%. I know a lot of the LARPers hung out at Inferno. I know that in our game, we made the Inferno the uh, Elysium for the vampires of Madison. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I wouldn't doubt that there was some stuff happening there to a certain degree, but how much of a degree that was, I, it's hard to say. And Inferno sometimes is really dead. Um, I've gone into Inferno when it's not, or w- before it got shut down, I got I went in there quite a few times where it was like me and my buddies were like some of the only people in the bar. Yeah. Although I wonder if maybe the Sabbat game would have gone to the Inferno for the uh, Sabbat de Saad. Oh, that might have been interesting. So my last question about that LARP is, did you learn anything from the, the STs? Something that, that you think was important? Off the top of my head, I, the only thing I can think of is that I, I learned a lot about the concept of how much the STs have to deal with player issues as well as location issues and how that can be a big part of you know what's going on is a lot of times the attention of the st is not on the storyline that they're creating but the storyline that their players are creating and you know trying to find a suitable location for those events to happen can be difficult no that is that's a that's a good point well anyway uh so let's move further back in time what was uh what was the previous LARP to that? So that the you went to previous LARP to that was the Dark Ages LARP, um, which is a it's affiliated with Second Act, but it is not part of the Second Act storyline because we're playing in the Dark Ages, so we can kind of do whatever we want. We're not locked into the the meta of the future, basically, um, and we're playing in like the 12th century uh, London, and you know like the the Prince of London just went to sleep. And so there's a new prince that just came up and that one left or something like that. In any case, uh, you know, basically it's London and we're starting a brand new game. And I got in on the ground floor of the beginning of that game. And it's all going to be focused around crazy dark ages stuff. And I'm not quite sure what's going to be happening in that game. Cause mostly I just talked to people in that game. I did not actually get into any storyline the first day. Okay, so first question, when did that LARP happen? What day of the week, and how often is it supposed to meet? Uh, So they meet once a week on the third Saturday of every month. Okay, so once a month. Yep. Okay, so that would have been the 17th of this past month. And uh, where do they meet? And then they meet at the same um, location here in Madison, Wisconsin. Okay, so uh, how many people? 
Um, so at that, I want to say that there was between 15 and 25 people, if I'm remembering correctly. It's kind of hard to say for memory's sake, and I didn't do any recording there, but that was definitely pretty, seemed like about the same size, a little bit bigger than the amount of people they had at the werewolf game. Okay. Uh, how many STs? Um, from my understanding, there's two. There is a, a head ST and a assistant ST, and I might also be assisting to a certain degree with that game. Um, I'm kind of seeing whether I want to play my character more or, you know, if, if storytelling might be a better fit for me. Okay, so you... But uh, you, you did make a character, though, correct? Yes. Okay, um... Before we get into who your character is, you, you said this is a new LARP that's starting up? Right, yep. So this is something that hasn't uh, had a game yet at all. This is the first game was the game on uh, on Saturday. Okay. Do you have any information as to why this one is starting? Was it some sort of national org thing with, with Second Act? Or is this... Um, yeah, I'm not sure. A, a local storyteller wanted to do this... Or you don't know? Yeah, I'm not sure. Okay. All right. So tell me a little bit about the character that you made. Um, the character that I made is Maven the Mad or Maven the Prophet. Basically, I've been reading a lot of the uh, uh, Beckett's Jihad Diary. And is, is it another Melkavian? Yeah. So, yeah, it's, I've only got two characters, two Melkavians <laughs> right now. Both One is a Jesus freak and lives in the current era, and that's One World by Night. Um, and the other Melkavian that I have is a Dark Ages Melkavian who is super lore master, knows like all of the lores, knows about like Lilith lore, Lucifer lore, like mage and vampire, and werewolf and, uh, you know, like infernalists. And he just, he knows tons of different stuff and all, and Gehenna lore is his main thing that he's all about. So he's all about cyclical Gehenna and me reading the Beckett's Jihad diary too much and me being like, I've, I want to talk about cyclical Gehana. Okay, so I am going to be really snarky right now and ask you, how is that not power gaming to make your character, like, the most ridiculous lore master of all time? It's not, it is. It is power gaming to a certain degree. Okay. But if everybody right. else is going to do it, then why <laughs> should I sit around and, and not have a character that can do what he can do. Now, the main thing was is that I built that character around the concept of a background first, and then I had to build his uh, his stats and everything like that. And I built all of his stats more around what his background was, which was a lore master, you know, from the BC era. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that I built out for him to, to you know, have the character that I wanted. And then I built... Uh, stats around it one of the main things and the really the only thing my character is good at is lore and uh occult because that's you know if you wanted to kill my character you could just go up and kill my character probably because i'm not i don't have any fight stats um so i did something that i built my character around what i wanted to role play and i did have to spend time to make sure i had the right stats for what i wanted to role play but my main concern was my role play and i'm not just going to have a character that has two in lore because I want to make sure I'm not power gaming. No, that's, I mean, that's a good point. Like I, I say, that's a little bit power gamey, but the fact that most other characters could come up and just kill you is, it, it lends itself to the idea that you're not power gaming just to kill other people. Like you're power right, gaming yeah. because you want it to be like story. Right. I mean, most of my lores will never be used. Like, I mean, in the sense of like when I, 
like a storyteller comes up to me and says, you know, do you have X lore? I'm sure that a bunch of my lores will never come up unless the storyteller purposely puts them in. Because I have like lore of Lilith. You, there's no reason to have the lore of Lilith unless my character wants to be able to talk about Lilith with people. All of my stats basically for both of my characters when I built them, you know, was designed around the concept that when I am talking, I don't want people to stop me from talking and say, you can't say that. Yeah. Actually, that that is a good question that you just brought up. The idea that a, a GM, or a, a storyteller in this case, would put something into the game specifically to uh, interact with something that's a part of your character. And is that something that STs, uh, first of all, do they do it? Number two, are they expected to do it? Or conversely, are they expected to not do it? Um, from my understanding, uh, and this is specifically regarding lores, but I feel like it goes out to other areas. Whenever I've talked about I'm taking a lore and I, prob I know it'll never get used, I've almost always had a storyteller say, I'm really happy when people take stuff that's oddball so I can use it. Because it's really boring when everybody just has the clan lores. You know, you, there's nothing... If you have mage lore, you're much more likely to hear about mages in your game than if nobody has mage lore. You know, and so... Yeah. I mean, that's kind of a big thing about being a storyteller is reading your players, you know, not just reading them by watching their facial expression or knowing whether they're happy or sad in, in the game. It's actually reading their fucking backgrounds, reading their character sheet, reading the whole concept of what they're trying to do and making sure that as a storyteller, you're working with your players to fulfill some of their dreams, just like they're working with you to fulfill your story dreams. Yeah. So actually, um, so I'm going to talk about this a little more. Are you familiar with the concept of Chekhov's gun? No. Okay. So it's, and I might be completely wrong about this. Please, listeners, tell me in the comments. Chekhov's gun is a literary principle where the idea is you don't bring something up early in a book unless it's going to be important later. Like... For example, don't tell me the you know details of somebody's garden unless it's going to be important later in the plot. So Chekhov's gun refers to uh, a very famous novel that I can't remember the name of, but they mention this gun that's somewhere, and it becomes a major plot point later on, right? Whereas if you didn't know the gun was there beforehand... They would have just thrown it in as like, and there happened to be a gun there. And it, it, it's the idea that the the author gets you ready to know things, and it creates a sense of uh, uh, anticipation. So I guess what I'm saying is it sounds like STs, who are possibly good at what they do, would almost treat the, the little minutiae, the little details of your character as Chekhov's guns, right? Absolutely. So you take all the, like, if you, you look at all your players and you say, what little thing did they put in their character that I can throw into a story that it becomes important? Yeah. 
No, and, and it almost is, it's very similar to writing in the sense of, um, so, I mean, as a storyteller, you've built this whole setting, you've, you've decided on all these NPC characters and everything, but where does your book start? Your book is going to start with your characters, you know, and their histories yeah. and their things that, who they are first, so that you can integrate those characters into your story and then have all the little things that are part of who they are matter inside of the story. So you, your beginning of the book is going to be much more about who these people are and what, you know, what they've done and what they're doing now. And then you'll get deeper into the actual story and all of the stuff that you learned about these characters first should be something that should matter in the story later. Yeah. So, you know, the most generalized thing is all werewolves have a background of combat. So you throw some combat in and all werewolves can participate. It's pretty easy. But one of them might have a lore that, you know, so you run a storyline where, you know, some players are doing a thing and then they get a clue, right? And then they say, well, what do we do with this? None of us know anything about this. And then the ST might say, one of your pack or one of the other packs might know about that. And all of a sudden, this guy who doesn't have anything to do is like, oh, I know all about that shit. Let me tell you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like um, making a non-combat character in a combat area game, you know, can still be extremely useful for a storyteller because there's lots of stuff to do after combat. You know, usually it, to get to combat or to to actually resolve what happened after combat, a lot of the times you leave either a clue to get them there or you leave a clue after you finish the combat. All that stuff needs to be figured out by non-combat stuff. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, so is there anything else about this specific Dark Ages LARP that, uh, well, actually, no, my, my normal question, did you learn anything from the STs? Um, just, uh, just the only thing that I really learned more than anything there was to get to see what it was like to be part of a beginning LARP, um, and to be there for opening day was really kind of interesting to see everybody's trying to figure out who their character is and so it was a lot of role-playing and i think there was some stuff going on for storytelling wise but it kind of was i felt a little bit weird to me because i never i didn't get to talk to a storyteller at all besides check-in and that felt a little bit weird to me but then in the end there's a, like 20 30 people that are there or whatever and you've only got two storytellers so you know, you balance stuff and the amount of role play that was to be had was really great because everybody's trying to figure out who they are and who everybody else is. Yeah, I, I would assume there's a little less uh, uh, adversarial stuff going on. It's more of a kind of let's explore who all the characters are kind of thing. Right. Yeah, it seemed like there was, um, you know, the only one that was really trying to be adversarial was the prince to a certain degree um, because, you know, He's the prince and he's running the city. So, you know, he's got to rebuild everything from scratch. So he's going around burning people at the stake during the crusades and stuff. So there's some adversarial sh shit that's happening there-ish. But, it, you know, it was definitely everybody's trying to find out who their adversary is first in the game. And then I think that the next couple of games coming up are going to be the ones where we're going to find out who our adversaries are and we're going to you know, start doing at more adversarial stuff. Okay. Uh, well, actually, that, that brings up another question. How did that guy become Prince? 
Um, so that was built into the story. Okay. Um, that was the storytellers needed somebody to play the prince. They had a NPC PC type thing that they worked out with one of the players, and the player said, "I will play the prince." Okay, so it was kind of a volunteer thing. Uh, do yeah, he griped about it quite a bit. It was is it seems like everybody whines about being prince. It's like it's the worst. It's it's like the worst thing you can do is storytell. The next worst thing that you can do is be prince. And then after that, it's it's all good being a player is what all the players seem to think. Yeah. Huh. So he uh, you kind of described him as a PC NPC. So do the storytellers, do you think they have a little bit more control over him? And he's just kind of role-playing? I'm not sure. My guess... I don't think he's an actor. So there's there's NPC actors, there's uh, PCs or player characters. I think he's a player character that was worked with by the storytellers, um, or, or initially created and was initially an NPC. That got, I'm, to tell you the truth, I'm not exactly sure much about his character and how it was built, um, but I definitely heard about how he had you know, volunteered with the storytellers to be the prince. And uh, so I'm not sure how they came to the finalized version of that prince, but I'm guessing that it started in the hands of a storyteller. And, you know, if at the very least they might have had a name or something, but a player probably filled in, if not all of it, a majority of it. Well, I'm I'm sure you'll be prince within a month, so... We're fine. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'd rather be an ST than a prince, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I might need to learn etiquette a little bit more in order to actually handle that. All right. Uh, so any other comments about that LARP? Um, about that LARP specifically, nope. All right. Uh, are we all done, or there are more? Um, the last one was just the second act vampire LARP where I was a storyteller for a day. Oh, yeah. Um, the head storyteller was gone. It was the Madison uh, Anarch Camarilla game that they have for second act, and that's the one where I'm officially an assistant storyteller. Um, and all I did in that game was go around and have meetings with people one-on-one and ask them, what storylines are you in? What do you want to do? Is it okay if I grab you and pull you from something and say hey we're gonna we're gonna do a scene here as long as you're okay with coming with me you can come and be part of this scene so a lot more of a you know being um, a fisherman for players and try and you know bait them into into a scene with me yeah um and they seem to be all very much in tune with that they wanted to see more story they wanted to see more storytellers playing with the backgrounds of players and making sure that everything was incorporated properly and that everything is being worked on. It's it definitely seems like um, so that game only has one head storyteller. It's Akira. Okay, and that's the and, one that we went to as uh, observers like last year sometime. Yeah, like two years ago. Okay, now if I remember, oh wow, yeah, I suppose it was that long ago. Um, if I remember correctly, there were like thirty people there uh, that night that we went. There was a bunch of kind of mock combat and. Uh, and I remember it was Akira and his wife that were doing the storytelling. Um, so now it's just Akira, right? Yeah, so yeah, I'm not sure um, how everything worked out from there to where we are here. But um, from my understanding is that Akira is the only one of storytelling right now. And when uh, 
when we went to second act werewolf at midwinter i talked to one of my friends uh joel who does a lot of larping and um i've kind of known him on and off like as acquaintances throughout the years and i told him you know this is really awesome i was really excited to, to play in the werewolf game but really i'm a storyteller i'm not really into being that much of a player um but it's always cool to check out this stuff and he relayed that basically to akira and let him know hey there's a guy out there that really likes to storytell maybe he might be good for our vampire game and from there akira um and me and joel uh kind of had a little chat about it and then i had an official meeting with their so he's got a, an administrative storyteller that does a lot of like making sure that the database is updated and making sure you know downtimes are processed and put into a, uh, a sheet or you know all the administrative stuff that needs to be done which there's tons of administrative stuff that needs to be done you know paying for a building so that you can you know larp and stuff like that but really they only have a head st and when you have 20 to 40 players that can show up um, there's just not much that a, sto a head storyteller can do in the ways of storytelling um when you're managing 40 players you know give or take yeah actually uh just to derail it a little bit how much do you think players the the people that solely play in these larps how aware do you think they are of the amount of time effort difficulty goes into what the storytellers, assistant storytellers, and administrative storytellers have to do? Um, I would say players are super understanding. First of all, I think a lot of them have already been offered the storyteller position, um, as it's multiple times I've seen people just say, hey, we need a storyteller, like we need an assistant storyteller. And most of the time the replies are, I don't have time for that. Um, so. I think that uh, the players have a high regard of respect and a, a, a high tolerance for GMs not getting some stuff done. So when I went to the underground theater game, um, the storyteller had said, don't feel bad if you didn't get a response for your downtime. No one did. I didn't have time to do that. <laughs> So, you know, and okay. it wasn't like everybody griping and saying, well, that's ridiculous. How could you not spend some time? You know, why can't you take some time out of your day to, to get this done? Um, maybe some people might have been thinking that or something, but nobody, everybody expressed the, ah, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, because essentially the, these are volunteer positions. Nobody's making any money off of this as an ST. As far as I'm, uh, as far as I understand, no. Um, there's definitely money that. So you do have to pay five dollars or uh, you know more if you want to donate more to administrative fees, from my understanding. Um, but I don't believe that any of these organizations, if they are making any money, it's not enough to sustain somebody's life. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I I agree. It's I mean, for. For example, um, I'm not sure how it is in the, the vampire game, but in the werewolf game that we went to, uh, the things that you can spend, like Gnosis and Willpower, there were tickets, like um, carnival yep. or raffle tickets, and you just ripped off how many you needed. Uh, and, you know, that, that costs money. Not too much, but it does cost money. Uh, they they do print some stuff. Yeah, we like what just what we spent on Gen Con was an insane amount of money. 
comparatively to you know what what, what I thought would be the cost of of just printing up a bunch of stuff you know and so you add on to that all of the other stuff that they do at the buildings that they need to rent out the website they maintain you know all of these things all start adding up as you know little costs that will eat you alive if you're not taking in some money so they're definitely taking in money um how much of that is being used on administrative fees i would have to say most if not all yeah and and, and anybody listening to this if you know of anybody in the entire world who is making money off of larp please let us know we would like to find out how they do that <laughs> i suppose i could research it myself but i'm not going to <laughs> So you said that you were there uh, and Akira wasn't, is that correct? Right. So this was a soft LARP day for them is what uh, what the storytellers said was, um, you know, go, guys, go out, have fun, play your game. Don't expect somebody to be there to, to do um, challenges for you or to resolve conflicts or have play an NPC or anything like that. Just, just go and have fun for the day. All right. So... I'm going to throw this out there. Tell me if I'm right. If you hadn't been available and agreed to be the new assistant ST, that day probably would have gotten canceled. No, I think that they would have been soft LARPing. In fact, I didn't, okay. I wasn't, um, they had the administrative ST there. Um, so he unlocked oh, okay. the door, got all the money together, you know, got everybody checked in and everything like that. Um, and was working on administrative stuff for, for the most part and did some stuff too. And uh, I think he played an NPC to a certain degree. But if I hadn't been there, really no, nothing would have changed because I did nothing but talk to, I think, I want to say I talked to like eight people or nine people and had a one-on-one -on -one meeting with them about how is the game going? What do you expect from your storytellers? This is who I am, you know? <laughs> and kind of do a little good little introduction to lower my um, intimidation factor so that I'm not intimidating them and that th they drop it drops some of their intimidation factor so that they're not intimidating me because I can say one thing that's for sure is I have been more intimidated in my life going to LARPs than anywhere else that I've ever been in my life yeah yeah no and that's one of the reasons I'm kind of confused about the whole thing but you know that's uh one of the things that i've talked about with uh especially our gen con game madison under siege the classic kennedy quote we do not do these things because they are easy we do them because they are hard yes so what you're saying is if you had not been there they still would have gotten together they still would have you know given the five dollars they would have been in character for at least some stuff and now do they get experience for that? Yep. So final question about that one, despite the fact that you were the only ST there, what did you learn from the STs at that game? Um, I, I would say that I didn't really learn anything from STs, but I learned a lot from players because uh, my meetings gave me really good insight into what I feel like the players are looking for. For the most part, my general feeling that I got from them is that they want more storyline. They want to have options to to do scenes and run stuff with storytellers, but they also want to make sure that there's a large chunk of the game is dedicated to players doing whatever they want to do and them creating the story. But they really want those storytellers to latch onto those stories and build it with them. 
Cool. Do you, do you think you're uh, going to be able to do that? Yeah, I've, I've got plans. I'm going to see. I don't know how much. I might stay in the shadows for, for longer and just kind of observe and see what's going on before I really push any ideas of what I want to do out there. But I've got a million and one ideas on how to improve the LARP and in some degrees. And, you know, just having another storyteller, I think, does that where it really can help out. Um, I think a lot of people just in general would really appreciate that. But I have a lot of different ideas. I'm a very experimental GM. I like to have a lot of fun. And it seemed like a lot of people would be into doing some experimental fun stuff every once in a while, but would like to keep it, you know, Vampire the Masquerade, you know, in the game that they're used to for the most part, but are very excited to see new stuff. Yeah, if you if you think that any conclusions that we came to are incorrect, please let us know, because we are learning right, this not, stuff too. Yeah, we're not professionals. We, we're just having fun. Awesome. Well, hey everybody, uh, thanks for joining us again on Crossing Darkness. I am Motorori, and... I am Frozen Follow. All right, we'll see you next week.